0: well it 's good to be back, and we 've been gone for a couple of months, just like the Helmholtz have. Welcome back Helmholtz and um, Doug asked me to fill in. Good morning, Ellen. I see you right there in the front row. <laughs> uh, fortunately we 're able to see Doug on our on our journey. We uh, started out uh, going back into Atlanta, and Marcia 's sister and my brother in law Bill are here. Uh, She's in the polka dot dress, just in case uh, you need to know. <laughs> and we started with a family reunion at their at their place for like 30 people. Then we traveled to see my daughter in Virginia and then to Wisconsin, where I forgot to be hot. So, Yanto, if you could open that door, we could get a little cross breeze going, maybe. And a uh, little bit of humidity. And so... Um, we saw Doug on our way back to Atlanta. We stopped by Nashville. It just happened to be about dinner time. And uh, we called him from the highway and said, you know, we're going to be going through Nashville in about an hour and a half. So things worked out and he brought his, uh, his brother and his wife. And Marsha and I had, had dinner with him. Very simple dinner. Kind of fast, unfortunately, because we needed to be in Atlanta. And uh, it was good. Doug is having a, a good time. He's, he was chilled, as if he isn't always chilled. Um, but he's having a good time with his family now in Seattle. Uh, so um, there we are. So today, in him asking me to do this, I, I thought about a very special psalm that's meant a lot to me through my years, which are many. I'm still working on saying 70 Ah, it's difficult, but, you know, praise God, I'm still here and I'm still vertical. I'm still above the turf. And so I thought about the 23rd Psalm. It's simple, uh, six verses, but it's very profound, and it's a popular psalm, but maybe a psalm that we don't get to the bottom of very frequently. So we'll give it a shot. And it really begins, believe it or not, I'd like to give you a little context. Uh, in the city of Bethlehem. I thought, Bethlehem, what the heck? With a man named Jesse. And then Jesse had eight sons. Okay, and Saul was the king of Israel, the first king of Israel at the time. And Saul wasn't doing so well against the Philistines. And he wasn't doing so well in his own personal life. And so Samuel, the prophet, talked to God like prophets do. And God said, I want you to go to Bethlehem. And I want you to anoint the the person that's going to be king of Israel. And Samuel said, "Okay." And so the the uh, the, the fathers in uh, Bethlehem heard of this and go, "Uh-oh! We got a prophet coming to town. What have we done?" And so they asked Samuel, "Is this good news or bad news?" He goes, "Actually, it's good news." Whew. So he shows up at the house of Jesse, who has the eight sons, and he goes one of your sons is going to be king, please bring them before me and I'll, I'm going to anoint the next king of Israel. So Jesse gets his guys all dressed up and parades them in front of the prophet. Now there's eight of them. But, and they probably ranged in age from David, who was a young teenager in my estimation at the time, to the oldest son who's probably in his 20s. Now, get the picture. These guys were probably dressed up in their Sunday best with their hair combed. You know, they look all good, and they come before the prophet, and he goes, no, that's not him. Next. Next son. Mm, that's not him. Next. Next. This goes on. All seven sons were presented except for David. Why is that? David was out there with the sheep. I guess the youngest guy, you guys have my sheep picture? Can you bring up my sheep picture? There we go. That's where David was, being the youngest son. He's watching the sheep. He wasn't dressed up at all. And so it's kind of humorous. Samuel says, don't you have another son? He goes, well, yeah, but he's out there. We'll go get him. So David shows up. He's been with the sheep, so you could imagine. He's not all dressed up, hair and comb. Samuel looks at him and says, that's the one. Pulls out his horn and he anoints David's head with oil and blesses him that he will eventually be the next king of Israel. And it's beautiful in Samuel. It says, "This is just context, guys. Hold your horses." That God doesn't look at the outside appearance like men, but He looks at the heart. And He saw in David a very special heart. And 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 we see that heart develop in him as the shepherd boy who knew the sheep understood him, spent a ton of time with him. But then things happened. His brothers, three of them, were at war in the army. And they were fighting, guess who? The Philistines. And I'll make a long story short. The Philistines had a new weapon. And this weapon was nine feet tall, carried a bronze spear, and wore 154 pounds of chainmail armor. Okay, so I'm about two meters high. This guy was three meters high, which I can't even reach. Okay, monster. Well, the Philistines are on one side on top of one mountain. The Israelites are on another. And this went on for like 40 days where Goliath would come down and challenge. And the rules were, if you can send a man down to take me out and cut off my head, then we'll give up. But if I cut his head off and kill him, You guys got to give up. It was a standoff. And wouldn't you know, the standoff was in a valley between two mountains. Well, David is instructed by his dad to take his brother's bread and food. And so he does. Again, a young teenager. Well, he shows up and he hears Goliath. And Goliath was berailing the Israeli army, the men, their families, and their God. And David said... Are you kidding me? You you guys are letting him say all of this? And they go, "Well, well, yeah, we're afraid we can't take this guy. And he goes, long story short, you know what happened. David said, listen, I protect my sheep. A lion came and grabbed one of my sheep, and I struck him with my little slingshot thing here, and the lion let the sheep go, and I saved my sheep. And a bear came. And a bear came after the sheep, and I ran a bear off. So if I can run off lion and bears, certainly this guy who's insulting our God, the God of heaven, he can't do that i'm gonna I can do this. And so he picks up five small stones, and he goes out against this monster. And Goliath looks at him and laughs and says, "Man, I'm going to cut you apart and feed you to the birds." And he goes, "Yeah, well. You can see this. This is warfare where you're real close. David looks up at him and says, but you're insulting my family, my God, my people, and I won't stand for it. And he swings this thing, and he swings it up. Goliath right in the forehead. And the Scripture says the rock sunk into his forehead. Down he went. David, having no sword, pulls up Goliath's sword, cuts his head off, pulls up his head, and the Philistines took off. They were they were scared to death. And the Israeli army pursued him. And this catapulted David from a position of being a hey-you to being a very special young man. And then, long story short, the king gets jealous. Saul gets jealous of David for the fame that he had because they were saying, Look at this kid, look what he did. You know, he killed this weapon the Philistines had. So what Saul did was chucked his spirit, David to kill him while David was trying to soothe him with his harp because he was a musician. And so Saul said, send my king's men and get that guy and kill him. So David had to flee for his life. Here he was going to be king of Israel, fleeing for his life. So I tell you all this to tell you he knew both victory and he knew hardship. And he knew the sheep. Long story short, Saul doesn't succeed. David then eventually becomes king of Israel, and that's what you really remember him by. So he wrote this psalm. So when he sits to think about, as the king of Israel, writing a psalm to express God's goodness and his mercy, he goes back to his childhood with the simplicity of the sheep and being a shepherd and what that means to be a shepherd. And interestingly enough, it's the same Scripture we read, where Jesus is the Good Shepherd. And you're going to see, hopefully, this psalm brings that to bear uh, in a very special way. And so it's written in your bulletin. And the way I'd like to start is we could all read that together. It's only six verses, and, and they're all pretty impactful. So if you take your bulletin... So on the right-hand side, let's read that together. A Psalm of David. You ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil Okay, so he starts out by talking about first very sentence, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In ancient scripture, the first sentence tells the whole story. And that sentence indeed tells the whole story. To put it in uh, Doug's words, if I'm paraphrasing, If I am his and he is mine, then I'm going to be okay. Or as Doug says, if I'm with him, I'm with okay. Remember when he was teaching John and he said, if you stand in front of the pearly gates and they said, why should I let you in? What did Doug say? I'm with him. Because he took the hit for me on the cross. And it's because of him that I can stand here. Because I'm standing here in his righteousness and not my own. So what the psalmist says is the Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, I shall not want. Now, what is the want thing? Well, it can be hunger. It can be thirst. It can be emotional security. And, and it's also there's a spiritual element of being like the word shalom means three things. I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with men. And I'm at peace with myself. And holistically, not being in want is pretty well described by that. So now he's going he's to explain, how am I not in want? And it starts out, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So stop right there. What does it mean to these guys to be in a green pasture? Well, for them, a green pasture is pretty good. There's food, and it's plentiful. It's green. It's not a bunch of dry weeds. It's like Bonaire after a few rains. We've seen how the weeds turn green. And we see what the goats do with the green stuff. They run all over and eat it, right? Well, so to a sheep, a green pasture is good. But the key thing is, who finds that green pasture? The shepherd does. The sheep are kind of like, us unfortunately don't they kind of look like us you know I mean it's a similarity there they're sweet little guys but they get lost they kind of don't know where to go they wander off and the shepherd has to tend them and keep them and take them to a green pasture and present it to them and when he does hey this is cool look at, look at this so how is that to us well a green pasture to us could be a good job it could be plentiful resources, lots of green grass to eat. It could be the satisfaction of having a full stomach. And then he says, and I make them, they, he, he, my shepherd makes me lie down. Well, a sheep isn't going to lie down in a green pasture if he's threatened. There has to be, it has to be peaceful. It's peaceful. He eats the grass. He gets a full stomach and he lies down. To us, I've got a good job. I have plentiful resources, I'm secure in that, and I can rest. That would be our sense of a sheep lying down in a green pasture. He's safe, he's secure, he's got plenty of resources, he doesn't have to be afraid, because a shepherd's looking out for him. The next thing is, he leads me beside uh, still waters. He leads me, because he doesn't push He isn't pushing them. He's leading them. He takes them. The sheep don't like running water. It scares them. They can't drink from running water. They'll look at it and and they're fearful. So they, they can't satisfy their thirst. So he takes them to a pond that's calm. Then they can drink and be satisfied. He knows that. And he knows them. So he's looking out for them. So he leads them. Like he would lead us. The analogy to us there, he knows what we need even more than we do, and he's going to take us there to be satisfied. It, it's a teaching on a servant leader. Okay? He's leading the sheep, but he's also serving their needs. He's looking out, the shepherd is looking out for their needs. David knew this, and it's a beautiful way of expressing how he cares for our daily needs, not unlike the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. There it is. He's first looking after their physical and and, and, uh, and, and their, their needs of eating and drinking and so on. And then he says, he restores my soul. And what I found in my 70 years, God's the only one that can restore our soul. We try, but it's it's Him that can restore our soul because He knows us because He made our soul. So he knows what it would take to restore our soul. And so being within his care and trusting his leadership, the sheep are safe and and in our in our sense, our soul is satisfied. and then he does one more thing before he goes on to the next thing. And this, this takes a while to figure out. And I probably don't have it all. Doug will have to help me out on this. But he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So now here's the spiritual element. Maybe doesn't apply to the sheep, but applies to us as his sheep. We don't know where the paths of righteousness. Notice it's plural. And notice he's leading me. It's active. In paths of righteousness. There's a lot of different paths of righteousness depending on who we are and the needs that we're presented with. But notice it's not for our sake. It's not for us. It's for His namesake. So He's leading us to do things that are good and give Him the glory. So He gets the glory, not us, for an act of righteousness. And it, 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 it could be many things. It could be taking someone that's hungry food. And, and, and you had to sacrifice time, your schedule, maybe you, you bought the food, you took it to them, not to look good, but because you know they needed it. Or to do something for someone that might cost you, but it's good for them, and that's okay. Think about the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Good Samaritan story. It cost him something to take care of that guy and put him in the inn. And he went back and checked on him. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for that person. So God will lead us in a path of righteousness if we just let him as our shepherd. Uh, it's a, a beautiful thought. And, and now he, he thinks back on, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So not everything in life is going to be roses. There are going to be times when we're in a valley. And it's in the valley that he met Goliath. So he knows what it feels like to be there alone, facing a monster in a valley. And in those days, as well as these days in warfare, you don't want to be in a valley. Because your enemy can see you. They can, in those days, chuck spears, rocks, pour oil on you. Gravity's helping them to defeat you. You're in a valley. You're in a bad place. You're in a tough place. And in our lives, we've we've been there. We've been in valley experiences. And Marsha always had a good little saying. She always said, and it was always comforting, you grow trees in the valley, you don't grow trees on the mountaintops. And that's so true. And the cool thing about this is even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So this is facing a fear, a deep fear. He's already satisfied our daily needs, but we also have deep fears in our lives. This addresses that deep fear. You're in the valley of the shadow of death. You're in a hard place here. And so what what happens? But, but I will fear no evil. Why is that? Because you're with me. My shepherd is with me. And I can tell you, sometimes my hobby is racing cars, which sometimes is really stupid, because you go faster than maybe the car should. And I've gone down the straightaway at 120 miles an hour, and tears. Thank you, God, for being with me. Because I knew the threat of death was imminent. But I'm stupid enough to do it anyway. But I knew my co-pilot was there with me. And it was a good thing. And so the sheep say, but your rod and your staff will comfort me. So you're with me. Now the rod is a weapon. It's a little baseball bat with lead on the end. And you throw it. And whoever gets hit by it is going to get hurt. Going to break ribs of a wolf or whatever, and it's a projectile. And then the shepherd would carry that to protect the sheep. The other thing he talks about is your staff. Well, you've seen the shepherd's staff. Well, that's for guiding, directing, teaching, rescuing, saving the sheep. You've seen pictures of shepherds pulling the sheep from a thicket or gently guiding them along so that they can follow him. So the shepherd's got both. He's got a rod. And he's got a staff. Well, both of those comfort the sheep. It's a good thing. They like it. Why? Because they trust him. Why do they trust him? Well, a lion showed up and he ran him off. A bear showed up and he he ran it off. And as as the scripture that that was read, he said exactly that. He said, the false guys are going to take off. But the good shepherd, he'll give his life for the sheep. And that's what David in his true heart would do. Now, this next one is a tough one, and I'll give it my best shot. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When you're in the presence of your enemies, you don't feel like eating. I don't. Uh, My stomach would be in a knot, and I'd be wondering... What's that person going to say now? What are they going to do now? example might be somebody's bringing a lawsuit against you, and you're sitting down to negotiate, and he's over there, and I'm over here, and there's a table in between us, and you don't know what's going to happen, and you kind of don't feel like eating, right? Or it could be a, a dispute with a neighbor, where the neighbor's got something against you, and you're not feeling good with him, and you come together... And it's uncertain, and you're not really hungry. Another example of this is in uh, the upper room discourse, where at the Last Supper, where Doug carefully taught us how good Jesus was to all of his disciples, even though one of them was betraying him. He still washed his feet, they sat at the table, it was peaceful and calm, he was in charge he excused Judas to go do what you're going to do. But but it was peace and calm because he was in charge of the whole thing. So when you're at a table negotiating and you know he's with you, you could even eat. My cat taught me this because my daughter had a dog. He's about this big and uh, he's a blue heeler, Australian cattle dog. Well, he hated my cat. And when the dog would hit the ground to come into our house to visit, this cat would see him and every hair would stand up and the cat would take off and run up in the basement and he'd hide up in the rafters of the basement. And the dog would sit there and stare at him. And the cat wouldn't eat for a couple of days. And this verse said, Wow, even in the presence of my enemies... He can set a table before me, and I could eat because he's there. So think, think about that. Now, we're going to have a little fun. Put your seatbelts on, because I need my next slide. Let's see if we can find it. Nope. There. Okay. This is a Stearman biplane. How many of you guys have been to an air show? Okay, well, in an air show, they take a plane like this, and in the exhaust stream, they'll push kerosene, and it has a vapor trail behind it, and they'll fly it in all kinds of crazy ways that you wouldn't think an airplane could fly, but one of the maneuvers they do came to mind as we're about to read this, and I want you to be thinking about it as, as we describe it, because now David has got the groundwork laid in the psalm, and now he's going to go to the next step, which is you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Okay, so why have I got a biplane? Because of a maneuver that it does that I thought about, which is called a hammerhead stall, which uh, both Pastor and I have been fortunate enough to be in an airplane doing this, where this biplane doesn't have a lot of horsepower compared to its weight, comes roaring down as fast as he can go, and it goes straight up in the air, full power. And it its weight exceeds its thrust, and it pretty soon it can't keep climbing. And then you, when it stops, you kick the rudder to the right. Airplane comes down, full power on, looking straight down at the ground. You pull back on the stick. And Bob, you know what I'm talking about. Climbs up again and comes to a stall. The smoke is coming out. You kick the rudder and it comes back around again. Okay, so what's that got to do with this? Well, it kind of reminded me of my own human efforts at life and so on. I can only get so far, and then it didn't work. So I come and I try again, and it didn't work, right? And so my cup isn't overflowing. It's kind of half full. Next slide. There we go. Oddly enough, and cool, this is the airplane that Doug's dad flew in Vietnam in combat. Doug's dad was a commanding officer of a squadron of these. It's an A-4 Skyhawk. And it's got a lot of stuff. And including that stuff is a ton of power. Its power exceeds its weight. So in the air show, after they get used to showing you that Stearman, They bring these things out. Now what this thing does is it comes streaking along and he pulls up the stick, and this airplane goes straight up and he gives it full throttle, and it goes out of sight, accelerating. So think about your car when you hit the gas pedal, you're going faster, right? Well, think about an airplane that you can turn straight up, hit the gas, and the thing accelerates. That's incredible, that'd be quite a ride. That's the mental image I want you to have for these next couple of verses. David is going to accelerate us in a way that's unseemly, just like that jet would with Doug's dad pushing the throttle and going straight up. You anoint my head with oil. That is a Jewish tradition where the... the uh, the person in charge of the of the spiritual worship would take oil and put it on your head and give you a blessing. Now this happened to David as a young boy, and I know he's remembering that, when Samuel blessed him and said, you're going to be king. The reason I think they used oil was it lasts for a while. If you did, If you blessed with water, in about an hour the water would be gone, but the oil is going to stay on your head and you're going to remember that that, yeah, I got blessed and my hair is still oily, so maybe the blessing is still with me, okay? So this is very personal. You anoint my head with oil. God has blessed us, each of us, when we chose him to be our shepherd. And not only does he give us our blessing, so the jet is now heading up, Now, what happens to my cup? Is it half full? Does it stall with my efforts? No, it's accelerating. My cup is overflowing. There are so many good things in my life. I can't handle it all. If we think about the blessings that we have instead of our disappointments that are smaller than our blessings, we can't handle it all. The breath that we have where we live, uh, a job that we're secure in, our family, uh, our children, grandchildren, etc. Think about it. Our cup, is our cup half full? No. God's filling it until it's overflowing. It's the concept. The jet is accelerating. Okay? Now, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness, think about it. A good wife, a good husband. Similar to that, a good horse, maybe. I'm kidding. Uh, A good car, a good airplane, a good engine, a good stake. A a bushel full, a full bushel, a good bushel. A good weather, good ocean, a good meal. You get the picture? It makes you feel good. God wants that. So surely goodness and then mercy. So goodness following you all the days of your life. Sometimes when I have doubts, I have to lean back on this psalm and say, wait a minute. God said that goodness and mercy will follow me. So I guess I need to look for that. And sure enough, every time I find it. Okay. And mercy. Mercy. That's getting what you don't deserve. Right. If we really got what we think, we have this concept of fairness, but God isn't fair with us. Because he allows us to come into his presence in knowing the Lord. And we don't deserve to be there. Right? But in His mercy, He allows us to be there because of our relationship with His Son who we who we accepted. So goodness and mercy will follow me. When? Sometimes? No. All the days of my life. What a huge promise that is to put in your heart. And I hope when you leave here today... That's one of the things you can hold in your heart. In the 23rd Psalm, God says, Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Remember that when you're in a hospital bed dying. Because it's as true then as it is when we're not. And remember it in the good times and in the bad times. Because it's, it's a constant that He will see to it because He's the good shepherd. But the jet is still accelerating because it says, and what more can he say? Goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Overnight? Do I get to go visit? Do I get to see Him once in a while? No, forever. This good shepherd that has watched over me He's brought me into green grass. He's brought me to still waters that I needed. He's restored my soul. He's led me in paths of righteousness. He's seen me through the valley of the shadow of death. He's even there when I'm having tough negotiations with my enemies. He's anointed my head and blessed me. My cup is overflowing. He's had goodness and mercy following me all the days of my life. And now I get to go be where he is forever. That jet has now gone out of sight. It can't get any better. In six verses, David puts this thing together in a way from knowing sheep and knowing us uh, to where the goodness of God is clearly seen. And I hope that you see the goodness of God in your life and His goodness and mercy that's following you day by day, all the days of your life, and the fact that we don't have to fear being left six feet in the ground because we can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what do we have to be afraid of? So as sheep, where'd my sheep picture go? There we are. It's If we're with Him, it's okay. So I'm with him. And uh, so if you'd pray with me. Father God, we thank you that you are the good shepherd, that, that you're not here to kill and destroy, but you're here as a servant leader to take us places that you know are beneficial for us in all ways, that you look after our, our thought life, you look after our emotional life, You look after our spiritual life. You look after our daily needs. You're with us in the times that are bad. You're with us in the times that are good. Our cup overflows. We praise you for that. We thank you, Lord, for for all these things. For we are your sheep and the sheep of your pasture. And we pray these things together in the name of Jesus. His name, the Alpha and the Omega, the, the beginning and the end. The Lord God of heaven, in your name we pray. Amen.